Numbers chapter 14. Title of our message today is Arise, Move, and Go, with a subtitle that I think is worth developing, Faith or Fear. Faith or Fear. Certainly our account has granted us that type of consideration, faith or fear. Along with that, 40 days or 40 years. Which one do you want? Faith will give you 40 days. Fear will give you 40 years. That is what we will come to. This is not mere soliloquy or just kind of uh, rhetorical speech. This is a discipline principle that comes up out of the word of God. David said it like this in Psalm 86, verse 17. And David was one who understood trials and temptations, did he not? David is one of the great grandsons of the children of Israel that have come up out of the wilderness and are on the brink of the promised land. We know the account before us is tragic. The lessons are many. We will only apprehend a few today in order for us to understand how they apply to us. But certainly David said something, and we picked this up about seven years ago in our prayer service because prayer is really the way to make sure that in the midst of your trial, that it doesn't turn into a temptation and cause you to have to endure much longer than you would have if you would have understood the trial. We've talked about this before. You know that. Trials lead you to God. Temptations take you away. The trial will come and it will challenge you as to whether or not you do the right thing under that trial And should you do the right thing, that trial will only last as long as is necessary for you to affirm what God is up to in your life. When you miss that period because you fall prey to temptation, it will prolong way, way longer than you ever imagined. Now, some of you know what I mean. This is something you and I want to grasp. Lord, why is it taking so long for me to get it? It's taking me long to get it because I'm not responding correctly to it. I'm either operating out of fear. I'm operating out of sight. I'm getting trapped by assumptions. I'm I'm bound by uh, faulty assertions or misconceptions. We've seen all that over the last couple of weeks, have we not? And the children of Israel should actually right now be enjoying entering into their new home that God has already told them that he has for them. But they're about to be evicted from the very home God has led them to because they are not understanding how to handle a trial when it comes. And this is what David says in Psalm 86, 17. And you can adopt this child of God because David knew something about weakness. He knew something about humility. He knew something about pride. He knew something about presumption, didn't he? It was David who said in Psalm, Lord, deliver me, Psalm 19, Lord, deliver me from presumptuous sins. Deliver me from presumptuous sins. And, and, and what David knew was presumption lies in the bosom of all of our hearts. And it will emerge when you and I don't handle the trial that's coming into our life appropriately and we'll fall back on certain assumptions that are not tested and we'll find ourselves delaying the benefits of that test. This is what's happening with Israel. We're going to divide this into obviously three categories and look at them. But here's what David says. This is going to be Psalm 86, 17, please. Psalm 86, 17. This is what David says In Psalm 86, 17, this is a promise that God will grant any of us if we request it. Lord, show me 
a token for good. Show me a token for good in order that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because, Lord, you have helped me and comforted me. Now, David is requesting that God do something for him, but more than for David, for David's enemies. Now, if you can see how this works in a sort of contextual way, David is in a situation. David needs God. God comes through. But David is very much aware that David has enemies and also God has those same enemies. What David is asking God to do for him is to show him a token for good so that his enemies see how that God is taking care of David in the midst of his troubles. Now, this will help you actually navigate when you are way too conscious of other people around you and you need God to insulate you from them when he's not going to isolate you from them. Did that make some sense? So you're asking God to show you a token and let those who are your adversaries see that token of God's favor in your life. Okay, And, and, and this is really what should have happened in our event. In our event, God had called Israel to actually go and search out the land and to see what it is, to make sure that they saw what God saw, because God had saw it a long time ago and told them, you're coming to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a good land. It's going to be a prosperous land. It's going to be a land filled with blessings, and you'll be ready to go into it, possess it, and enjoy it the moment you're called to go there. But we discovered that Israel saw something else, did they not? And we want to actually look at that. That's why we're dealing with a title that is so germane to you and me. Arise, move and go. When God is telling you to do something, he doesn't mean for you to sit around and wait for him to explain everything. That's one. Secondly, when God calls you and I to move and go, it is always a call to move and go in faith. You have to move and go in faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And also without faith, the only thing that you're going to have is a cultivation of your fear and anxiety. When you look at the hill, you got to climb to get to the destiny that God is calling you to. Did that make some sense? When you're climbing that hill of purpose, getting to the destiny God is calling you to, God knows you're going to see some really harrowing things, some challenging things. Intrinsically, you got problems and you live in a world full of problems, do you not? But the way the people of God negotiate this world is by faith. It does not mean we don't see the enemy. It does not mean we don't see adversaries. It does not mean we don't feel some kind of way about it. It does mean that when I'm operating out of faith, it will cancel, it will mitigate, it will subdue all of the irrational, emotional sort of uh, projections that will emerge from me when I'm too fixed on my adversaries or too fixed on my problems. Faith will mitigate that and allow you to do what we're asking, to show you what is important to let you know that God is with you in that journey. And this is where we left off last time under point number three, which is going to be point number one in your outlines. The tokens of what? The tokens of victory. If you recall what God said in Numbers 13, verse 20, look at it with me. Numbers 13, 20. This is what God had stated to Israel. When you go in the land, here's what I want you to do. I want you to describe perfectly what that land is. We'll get back there in a moment. But I need you to bring back for the people that are not going to go into the land with you. Remember, I told you this was the first major media news service outlet in the Old Testament. 
12 men that are going to go into the land, acquire a testimony, and then bring the testimony back to the people. That means that the common people who stayed in the wilderness are totally beholden to whatever these 12 men say. They will not know anything of a truth about what's going on in the promised land, but that which they are told. Didn't we talk about that last week? And what I share with you there, which I share with you who are visitors today, you and I operate out of three categories of knowledge. We operate either out of revelation, that is God telling us what it is, and we really need that because we don't know nothing without God. The scientists will tell you that. They know nothing except that God reveals it to them. All of the mechanisms and all of the smallest microbial elements in our universe are not known unless God gives us a framework to understand them. Does that make some sense? So then we begin to play with all of these manifestations and all of these, uh, again, mechanisms by which our world functions. But we have to admit we can't know unless God helps us to understand origin and design. And this is why your wisest scientists are always men of some kind of faith. They know that you can't create something out of nothing. That's the most absurd logic on the planet. But now if there's a God who speaks things into existence by divine fiat, we can start on a good premise. And this is why I've said to a lot of people, you're not taking your Bible serious. Because if you take your Bible serious, if you can get past Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible is easy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can get past that, the rest of it is easy. I promise you. And so what we're dealing with here is what we call a tertiary knowledge. Because the children of Israel are not hearing God explain to them what's in the wilderness. They're waiting for the testimony to come back. The second level testimony is what we call experiential testimony. It's when you go out and navigate, excavate, you do the archaeological research, you dig it out of the ground, you analyze it, you write about it, you put it in books, and then you teach others through what you have acquired through experience. Am I making some sense? Those who get it in a testimonial form, in the book form, which most of us get when we go to school for academics. This is why academic school is somewhat a faulty system because all it can give you is testimonial knowledge. Am I making some sense? This is why when God had the first human beings on the earth, he didn't name them the Institute of such and such, the Academy of such and such. They were a mama and a daddy because a mama and a daddy should have a relationship with God where revelation is given to them of which when they experience that revelation, they pass it on to the children as a testimony and they get the testimony from experience rooted in revelation that allows the child to grow up in a tradition by which they can get a hold to the God that created it and not go astray like so many of our children are today who are not raised up in homes where the word of God is taught. Am I making some sense? Many of us know about how far we went astray when we went to college. Now, mom and daddy told you, don't lose your mind when you go to college, because most of those teachers did. When you get your PhD, it really means you didn't went crazy. It really does, because now you arrogantly assume you know more than God. And now you become right, actually antithetical to God in your assertion of knowing something. And then you pass that false testimony on to the children and you create generations of human beings who are godless, 
whose whole hope is in materialism. We call that an existentialist. This is a materialist existentialist. All they know is what they think they know, and they don't even know that. Now, listen carefully to me so I can I can carve this up. What we're dealing with with the children of Israel. And this is why I feel so bad for the children in this account, because the children in this account are going to be the first generation that suffers the way our children are suffering today. A bad testimony, a flawed testimony, a wrong testimony. Did you get what I just stated? This is why I'm so ambivalent about our education system today. I'm so ambivalent about it. I'm so ambivalent because I do know that all education should be rooted in a faithfulness to God so that it can stay on course in whatever discipline it is. And and now we got to send our kids there and then we got to pay godless amounts of money for them to go there. Right. So y'all work that out because the world's not going to get any better until we get educators that are willing to tell the truth about everything that can be known. And it's going to start with knowing God. So what we got in our account is a group of people, 10 out of 12 men. This is your CNN News, this is your Fox News, this is your CBS News, it's every institution, it's NPR, it's all of that. Coming with you swearing they know the truth. And if you submit to them as if it's the gospel, you're going to swallow up the testimony. And if you don't go behind them and do the research, you won't ever know. There are all kind of people that will tell you what they know because they were raised up under CNN, NBC, NPR news, and they swear that's the gospel. Now, what they should be saying is they told me that. I don't know if it's really true, but that's what they told me. You might as well be honest about it. Because, listen, these kids that are 20 years and younger are going to have to hang out another 40 years until their parents die because their parents weren't willing to tell them the truth. Y'all get what I'm saying? This is what, I, this is what had me reeling all week this week. I'm like, man, these kids got to hang out 40 years. Here they come to a brand new home. And I know if I was 19, 18, 19, and God showed up when I was in the, uh, in the arduous sort of uh, tyranny of, of Pharaoh's home, my parents are working hard every day without straw building brick. They tired when they get home. Didn't as a contract of genocide out on the boys. And we had to deal with that for several generations under the Pharaoh that did not know Moses. I know if I was a young man and then God showed up and delivered my family out of Egypt, and put me in the wilderness on a trajectory to a new home, I'd be very happy to be out of Egypt. Now, I may not know what the new home is like, but what I do know is I know what the old home is like, and the old home is not cool. Also, my parents are leading me, so I'm going to trust them implicitly until we get to the home. And this is what's going on right now in our account, where the kids, can you imagine that? The kids are sitting here listening to a conversation of grown adults. grown, And they heard this story like about 10 times. Isn't that what God says? You have tried me 10 times. So the kids have heard this since coming out of Egypt 10 times, what we read over in the opening verses. Again, look at chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. Notice what it says. And the children of Israel did what? Murmured again. There you go. Didn't the children hear it? The, the children heard it. They happy to be out of Egypt. They walking through the wilderness learning all kind of new stuff, aren't they? Yeah. They're ready to go to a new home. Can't wait till we get there. Can't, and here go mom and daddy and them complaining one more time. 
And God said 10 times, which means, you know what? God counts our complaining. The number 10 is the number of completion, by the way. And this is why they're going to die in the wilderness. 10 times have they complained against what I was doing. Now, notice what it says. They murmured against Moses, against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Isn't that that ridiculous? Listen, and would God had, uh, we would have died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died where? Which means they have raised another level of suspicion against God because they're believing that the home they're coming to is the home worse than the home they came from. They're actually saying the wilderness is better than their home. That's insane, isn't it? You see how, as we learned week before last, your misconception can create a great deception in your own mind. It's important for you to get it. All right. Having helped you see the precariousness of the children, let's begin to work through something I really wanted to more fully capture last week. And that is the concept of the token. The concept of the token. Now, here's what I know God is doing. He's trying every one of us as to whether or not you and I will think like God thinks. He's trying every one of us whether or not you and I will have the kind of category in our process of evaluation and valuing things to pick up on what's important to God versus what's important to us. See, like when you walk with God, God will speak to you. He'll speak to you through his word. That's precept. He'll speak to you in providence. That's through circumstances. He'll speak to you in tradition. That is through people that care about you. Will he not? And you will hear from God. You will even hear from God from unbelievers because God can put his own word in their mouth and tell you something. Right now, it's important for you to get this. In other words, God won't leave you without witness. But if you're not building your understanding and perception of God on his word, then you will miss God when he speaks. This is why David said, Lord, show me the token. Now, the token is going to always be something that's valuable to God, but virtually everybody else will miss it. In your Bible, the Bible is very clear that our thoughts are not God's thoughts and our ways are not his ways. What that means is you have to be trained in your thinking mechanism to be able to understand how God thinks and his word lets you know that. And you have to be trained to lean into with a healthy biblical value system to see what God sees as the grounds of your being able to navigate this dark world. Now, I want you to see it again because he tested them. This is Numbers 13, verse 20. Look at Numbers 13, verse 20. He says, now I want you to go into the land and I want you to determine whether the land is fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. That matters, doesn't it? Now watch this. And be ye not, and be ye of good courage, courage, and bring of the what? And bring of the what? Now why are they bringing of the fruit of the land? To show the people who did not come the character of God's promise to them that he told them way back when he brought them out of Egypt. That God doesn't lie, change, or fail. If he said it, he'll do it. If he declared it, he'll make it good. Now watch this. You and I are called to be able to get a hold of the token and be able to show people here, this here is just a token of what God has for us. Y'all got that? I told you the token. 
is always a beautiful symbol, a beautiful uh, 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 metaphor or analogy or some kind of typological pattern of God's greater token to humanity. Under point number one, then, the tokens of what? Victory. The tokens of victory. What do we mean by that? When you look over in verse 23 through 25 of chapter 13, notice what the text says. This is important for you to get in your own walk. And they came unto the brook of Eshcol, and they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. You see it? And they bear it upon two, bear it uh, between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook of Eskel because of the cluster of grapes, which the children of Israel did cut down. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. They're walking back with clusters of grapes on a big staff, are they not? And we saw the unusual nature of those clusters. Those clusters were massive enough to actually feed the giants in Israel. Remember that? And so they brought these clusters back because these clusters stand for us as a symbol of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ as the grounds and vouch say that everything in the land is theirs because the cluster proves it. Here's the proposition. Listen to me carefully. If you have the token, you have the whole thing. If you have the token, you have the whole thing. Help my people get it, oh God. If you have the token, you have the whole thing. Now, God's token to sinners is Jesus Christ. And if you have Christ, you have the whole thing. And without Christ, you have nothing. And that he starts with a cluster of grapes is what you and I learned from Jesus in John 15, 1 and 2. He said, I am the true vine. Well, you don't get a cluster except from a vine. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he makes it bear even more. And the ones that don't, he cuts down. Child of God, listen to me. The fruit of the vine is the symbol of God's riches in Christ. It's a symbol, watch this now, of suffering. But it's also a symbol of joy. It is a token of the triumph of Christ's righteousness. The bloody grapes are a symbol of the blood atoning work of Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. Take this cup filled with the bloody grapes. This is the blood which was shed for your sins. Did you get that? Every time we take of the Lord's table or every time the glorious atoning work of Christ is preached, we get to enjoy the token. Do you enjoy the token? Because it's God's message to you about how you and I obtain the whole thing. Christ died for our sins and we rejoice in his sufferings because the blood is what takes away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The blood is a symbol of the purging of our sins by the shedding of Christ's blood on Calvary. And we've learned this. We've learned this. That cluster of grapes speaks to God's mercy and grace to you and I in Jesus Christ. Under subpoints A, B, and C, briefly, the, obe- the obedience of faith what? Rod. Now, why do I say that? Because there were certain men who were obedient enough to cut down the cluster and put it on a stick and bring it back. 
Somebody had to do it, right? Listen, do you understand when you go into someone else's territory who actually thinks they own the territory and you clip a significant portion of their uh, goods and their wares that they have a right to actually put you in jail, if not kill you for penetrating into their resources? Y'all got that? So what are these men doing by taking that cluster of grapes? They are saying, this is not your land. This is our land. Yay, this is not our land. This is God's land. And I'm taking this territory or a token of this territory because God said it's ours. This is a walk of faith. You better hold on to it because there are times coming in your life where God is going to show you something for which you are directed to enter into And he wants you to get the token before you get the whole thing. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Because the token will be an evidence that you're trusting God in it. You could lose the whole thing. If as you come upon it, there's some obstacle or some distraction that actually mitigates God's promise to you and you get stuck on that distraction rather than on the promise. Am I making some sense? If God says, get a hold to the promise, get a hold to the promise. Now I'm telling you, the token is the promise. The token is the promise. This is your Bible. So what the text said in verse 20 was, and it was the time of the first fruits. And we learned this last week, too. Whenever you have a first fruits, you know what that means? You're going to have a harvest. Whenever you have the first fruits, it means you're going to have a harvest. And in God's law uh, for Israel, the agricultural law was you always take a portion of the first fruits and you give it to God. Now, what you're saying is all blessings flow from him. And you actually are saying, I believe God for the fuller outcome. So I'm going to give him a portion of the first fruits because he's the one that created it in the first place. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And when men and women see the blessings of God and they fail to understand the first fruit principle, they have no right to the harvest. Y'all will get that in a moment. Because we as the people of God share in this what we call mechanism that Israel did even when we come to worship. We say that God has blessed us all week long with health and strength and the capacity to work. Am I making some sense? And then we come to church to praise him for how good he's been to us. Am I making some sense? We're coming to thank God for having sent his son into the world to die for our sins and redeem us from all iniquity. And then guess what we do in honor of him? We give him of the first fruits of our labor. That's people that really believe God. Like a lot of people don't. I don't care. What I know is when God gives to me, I'm giving a portion back in order to let God know. I thank him for opening the heavens and pouring down a blessing on my soul. I don't need it as much as others do. So I'm I'm giving him a portion so he can bless others. I want people to know the token that I know. And again, don't get me wrong. This is not about money. Jesus is way more than money. This is about faith working by love, ready to reciprocate with my God because he has given me a promise in the person of Christ. The Bible tells me Jesus is the first fruits. Is he not? This is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. Look at it. Walk with me for a moment. I want you to get the doctrine. I want you to get this because there are some of you who are going to go out into the world today, especially you young people. 
I see it. I see it in my own kids. I see it in my own family. You're going to walk out of an institution that teaches you how to be blessed by walking with God. And your secular world is going to tell you you can be blessed without walking with God. That's what you're going to do. You're going to walk out of here and think you can actually obtain the blessings of the land. Because some of us know, like no place in the world, America is the land of milk and honey. On a material level, please understand. That's why people are coming here from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. On boats, on rafts, they sneaking in. Why? Because here you can go from nothing to something, especially if you trust the Lord. Listen, and church folk, raggedy church folk, raggedy church folk, love to get from God, but don't want to give back to him. Now, our kids will get taught that. They don't get taught that from a good mama and a good daddy, but they'll walk out of here and they'll go into that secular world. And that secular world will promise them everything in the moon if they give their souls over to them. And they don't know that God has to still uphold them in their health, in their mind, in their breath, in their rationality to even get the education that they get. God still has to open the door for them to get the job they get. God still has to make a way out of no way for them to get where they get. And they will forget to praise God for it. Even as God told Israel the same thing, when you get into the land, and you obtain houses and lands and property and trees of all kind. Don't you forget the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Am I making some sense? And we've seen it for years now. I've watched a generation and a half of children really think they're blessed of the Lord because, because they, they got a job now. But don't you know that the enemy can give you pseudo riches the simile of riches that don't do nothing but create more trouble for your soul. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What benefit is it for you to have 10 PhDs and still don't know God in his mercy and keeping grace? What benefit is it for you to have a multi-million dollar contract and mansions on their hill if your house is not filled with the Holy Ghost, righteousness, peace, and joy? What good is it to have material wealth and have all kind of troubles because you're not covered by the blood and insulated by the spirit and grounded in the promises of God? What good is it to have a cabinet full of food with strife and contention therewith? I'd rather have a little bit with God and peace than to have the whole world without him. See, my generation of religious folk have sold the gospel for materialism. My generation has climbed out on the edge of the cliff where the devil took our Lord Jesus and said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The devil is a liar and everyone that buys into his doctrine will find out he lies to you. I tell you, young people, do not ever forget God. You need him every hour. Every hour you need him. I tell you, you need him. You will see elevation. You will see rewards. The Bible's clear. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. But if that labor, that sowing that you do is really merely material, it will rot right under your feet one day. And you'll find you'll never be able to stand in a stormy day when your house is built on sand. 
the sand of disobedience to the gospel. These men were obedient by faith to grab the cluster and take it to the people of God. Now, I had wish, I wish, I wish that when the people saw the cluster, they said, my goodness, God was telling the truth. I wish that the, that's what they, and watch this. I wish that once they saw the cluster, all this other noise these 10 men were making, they would have said, shut up, shut up. Do you see that cluster? I see what I'm about to get in Jesus' name. Soon as I cross over into the blessing, I'm getting ready to live large by the grace of God. And I'm going to worship him all the days of my life because he has shown me a token for good. And he's let all my adversaries know what the Lord will do for those that trust him. Yeah, I wish the children had said something, but they didn't. They were obedient children sitting there letting their mom and daddy lie. And get in trouble. Didn't they get in trouble? Listen to it. Let's work this through. I think you got it. Jesus is the first fruits. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says. And guess what? Him being the first fruits means that you and I get to partake of him by his spirit. The spirit of God is said in Romans 8, 23. I want you to see this. He's called the first fruits as well of all of God's promises in our life. So if Jesus is the first fruits. Then the Holy Spirit is, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the what? First fruits of the what? First fruits of the what? Can y'all read? First fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? The Spirit of God is given to you and me as a token of all of the other blessings that God has for us. If you have the Spirit of God, you have Christ. Without the Spirit, you don't have the Son. If you have the Spirit, you have the Son. And if you have the son, you have the father. And praising the father from whom all blessings flow means you are guaranteed to get everything else that God has for you. Y'all following me? Jesus is the first fruits. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits. And guess what? You and I are called first fruits as well. Did y'all know that? James lays this out very carefully in the book of James. Look at James chapter 1 around verse 15. He lays this out as well. James chapter 1 verse 17 rather. James says in James 1 17, uh, James 1 17, not 1 7. James 1 17 explains to us about God. Every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is where? Now see again, a child of God knows that. Don't you know that? No door opens unless God opens it. Now, there there are times when the devil will open the door and you got to know that. But when God opens the door, he's opening it for your good. He says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Watch this now. And it comes down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness. That is, God doesn't lie. Neither shadow of turning. That means he doesn't repent. If he said it, he'll make it good. Look at the next verse. This is a promise. I want you to get it. That's why I'm taking the time. Look at it. Verse 18 tells us of God's own will that he make us born again. Now, do you believe that? All right. Again, you need to get this. Your salvation did not start with you. You're not saved because you make a decision for Jesus. You're saved because Jesus makes a decision for you. That's right. Please hear me. That's right. To be born again is not an act of the flesh or of the will or of blood, but of God. God makes you just as much a new creature on his own as that baby in the womb you mamas had. 
Now, can you imagine your children coming out the womb saying, you know what? I'm so glad I chose you, mama, to be my mom. I'm so glad I chose you, daddy, to be my daddy. The Bible says you must be born again and born again is a work of God, not of you. So you praise him when you find that you have faith in your life, trusting God, because it's a gift of God. Am I making sense? Of his own will did he save us. We're children of God because of his will. We're children of God because of his will. Listen to it now. And notice what he did. He used the word of truth, did he not? Because he doesn't lie. Now, what is the word of truth? It's the gospel of our salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? And no one's coming unto daddy except through the son. Now, the reason I'm a child of God is because I'm in Christ. Are you in Jesus? If you're in Jesus, then you're good to go. Now watch what God says about that. He says, and we are a kind of what? First fruits of his creatures. Now literally in the Greek, that word is creation. So for you to get it is this, that there are men and women walking around this world who believe on the Lord Jesus is a token to the world that Jesus owns everything. You and I are tokens, just like the Holy Ghost is a token to us, just like Christ is a token to us. We are a token of God to the world. Did y'all get that? You are a token of God to the world. The whole world by you knows that God is true. Why uh, Why does James say that? Because at some point in time, the whole world is going to be redeemed and you and I are going to be part of that glorious redemption of the world. Right now, God is working a salvation of first fruits. And that is of human beings from every nation, kindred, tribe and tongue. Y'all keeping up with me? This is is the area wherein we celebrate because it's getting ready to get hard after this. If you know him in the pardon of your sins... If you know him by the grace of the living God, you are in seed form, the glory of God. Did that make some sense? You are in seed form. That means a whole lot about what you really are in Jesus. Don't nobody see but God, right? Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear For until Jesus comes, we remain the sons of God only by faith so that when he comes, we will appear with him in glory. So down here, you don't get to boast in the full inheritance. You get to boast in the promise of being a child of God by faith because the promise is really in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is in you to let you know the promise is in Jesus. That's why while between you being in seed form and you coming into full glorification, your job is to tell everybody the promise is in Jesus. Now, the promise is in me. That's why I'm telling you. But the promise ultimately is in Jesus the Christ. He gets all the glory. He died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. He says, and if I live, you shall live also. So you and I are kind of like that cluster of grapes, are we not? You can go back to John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Every branch in me, he's talking about you and me, that bears fruit. He'll purge it so that it bears more fruit. Do you want to bear fruit for God? Be ready to be purged. Be ready to be purged. But listen to me now. When you bear fruit to God, it's for God's glory. The world gets to look and go, you know, there go God, that heavenly vine dresser. There you go again, making clusters all over the world. 
There he goes again, making clusters all over the world. Did you know you were a cluster? Own it. You and I are merely clusters. It's a beautiful thing, is it not? You and I are merely clusters. Now, you and I have been through this before. The cluster is a beautiful thing. The blood purges our sin, but it's the wine that makes the heart glad. Is that true? That's the cluster. That's the metaphor of the joy of salvation in our soul. You and I need to get that. It's the only wine that won't send you to hell. It's a good wine. I'm I'm helping some of y'all. It's a very good wine, okay? It's the only wine that gives you pure joy. It's the only wine that keeps you sober while you're silly at the same time. Silly in Jesus. Am I making some sense? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's important for you and I to be able to share that. Israel perished in the wilderness because they did not rejoice in the Lord. So it's very important for us to comprehend these things. Christ then is also the symbol of our victory. Why? Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When they cut down that cluster, it was the death of Christ. When they put it on the pole and lifted it up, that was the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And now everybody gets to see the lifted up Christ, the cluster of God's ultimate promises in Jesus. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen in him to the glory of God by us, whom God has given the spirit of promise. Y'all get that? All right, time to go to work. You need to be rejoicing in this first point because this is your hope for glory. All right, this is your hope for glory. Point number two, the difference between 40 days or 40 years is whether or not your trial results in strengthening your faith or you succumbing to temptation because of fear and anxiety. Did you capture what I just stated? Right, so when the trial comes, if you understand that God is bringing it for your good, you lean into God. And you wait for God to bring you through. And he will never bring you through in any way later than he has designed. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. Pull it up. I want you to get the promise as we go on. Because what we're going to be dealing with now is a tragic reality of history. And yet a tragic reality of the present time. Notice what Paul said. And Paul is actually dealing with a line of warning that comes out of our text. We're dealing with this on Tuesdays and Fridays right now. Notice what he says. There hath no what? There has no what? It really should be trial. Temptation is okay. This here is what we call equivocal language. It's the same uh, Greek term, perismus. It's the idea of trying you to purge you. Okay. Jesus was tried. Moses was tried. David was tried. All of God's people are tried. The Lord trieth the hearts. Does he not? So you and I got to get used to God trying us because what he's often doing is showing us our weaknesses. And he's setting us up to learn how to deliberate with him around our weaknesses and call on God to help us. Now, if you're proud, when God shows you your weakness, you will deny it and pursue another path in order to preserve your dignity. Did that make some sense? Right, if you're proud when God shows you your weaknesses, you won't agree with God. You're going to make excuses. You're going to circumvent that. You're going to find grounds to blame somebody else rather than recognizing that God is molding you and shaping you into his image. A lot of people don't like to go through trials, but you cannot be a child of God and not go through trials. All whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And when he's done, 
you and I get to enjoy the peaceable fruits of righteousness thereby. Am I making sense? I told you I'm 62 going on 63 and I don't want to be 33 for nothing in my life. I was struggling so bad with my pride and my strength and my power. A young man glories in his strength. An old man glories in the wisdom that God gives him through the gray hair. That, inc- that includes you women too. I just want you to know that, okay? That in- when it says uh, the, the man, that's the man and the woman. Men and women are much wiser when we're older. Is that not right? And we ain't, we ain't about wasting time. We're not trying to get any kind of glory. We're not trying to act like we're 20 years old no more. No! Because we, listen... Our salvation is closer than when it first began. I'm about to enter into my inheritance. It's about to happen. And so what we're doing is really trying to streamline our life as older people to make it easier for younger people to learn how to navigate their life. Because for younger people, again, you really will engage in wrong choices that will create a kind of labyrinth of up two experiences that are really not worth it. Your mama, your daddy, if they were faithful in Christ, they told you, don't go that way. You went anyway. But don't get mad at a mama and daddy because you went that way too. Am I making some sense? You went that way too. A lot of us went that way. But what we're trying to tell the young people is make a beeline to Jesus. Stay grounded in him. Let him put parameters around all your freedoms so that you can exercise them and not get into too much trouble. God is good, is he not? All right, so now listen to what he says. There is no temptation, but it's such as what? It's such as what? So stop telling people how bad you have it. I'm going through it worse than anybody on the planet. Ain't nobody going through it like I'm going through it. That's called narcissism. Stop it. Everybody going through trouble. We all going through trouble. And God can help you. He'll show you somebody that's going through way worse stuff than you. And then you go at the back of and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I thank you for my trial. My trial ain't that bad. I want to stay right here. It's common to man. And here's the other one, which takes us back to our text. And he will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you can what? That's right. He won't let you go through something that he doesn't qualify you and actually resource you with what is necessary to get through. Did y'all get that? God will never put you in a position to make you fall. When you fall, it's because you have failed to acquire the resources that he brings to you to get you through that trial. That's what I meant when I said you got to go through your trials by faith. Because when you go by faith, you're calling on God, Lord, help me. Show me the token, Lord. In the midst of the cloud, I need the token. I need that token to show up so I can get a hold of the token and hold on to the promise inherent in the token. If he gives me a token, then I know he's present. If he gives me the token, I know he's going to get me through. Show me the token. Got it? He won't let you go through a temptation above that which you're able to bear, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to do what? You're not leaving the temptation. A lot of people like, like, like to quote all five clauses, but number six, they leave out. You're not going to escape. 
We own the planet. The planet is called the planet of temptation. Haven't you figured that out yet, Big Matt? Haven't you figured out that this is a planet of temptation? Did y'all know that? It's temptation everywhere you go. And, and, and AI is making it even worse now, is it not? You can't even close your eyes without dealing with temptation. You got all kind of pseudo paradises everywhere calling on you. It's better over here. It's better over there. It's better everywhere. I am. But that's a lie from hell. Am I making some sense? You and I are pilgrims and strangers passing through. There is a glory that has been afforded us in the person of Christ and never trade that glory for the glory of the world. Oh, I'm going to put one more little parenthetical on this. Sweetie, you ain't had the baby yet? I was praying for you. We getting close? Okay, we getting, we getting, getting close? All right, text me now, okay? We got another little soldier coming into the world in a few hours. Now, let me share with you how blessed this girl is going to be. She's sitting there ready to have the baby right now, but she said, we come into church, we're going to hear the gospel, we're going to let grace run all up inside her body and touch that child so he can be brought forth healthy in Jesus' name with all the confidence of her going through it strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Listen to me, children of God, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. That Bible, gonna, that baby going to come out quoting Bible verses and, and taking up all of my little euphemisms and sharing them with mom and dad. Mom and daddy, did you hear what pastor was preaching? The tokens, the tokens. Give me the token, mama. Give me the token, daddy. I want the token now. Train them up in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. And when they get old, that truth won't depart. Start in the womb. Start in the womb. All right, let's look at this. I need to expedite this. I told you the difference between 40 days and 40 years, the Lord makes clear. Numbers 34, verse 34 through 37. This is where God makes plain how much he did not like their complaining. Look at it. Now, you, you and I read up to uh, 1 through 25, but here's what God says. This is Numbers, 30, uh, Numbers 14, verse 34. Please, this is where we started. Numbers 14, verse 34. It's going to be 34 and 35. He says to the children of Israel, after the number of the days in which you searched out the land. You guys see that? He's getting ready to set forth the principle. It's actually going to be, um, it's actually going to be under point number two, sub point B, the prophetic pattern, but we'll get there in a moment. Look at what he says. After the number of days wherein you searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a what? Each day for what? Shall you bear your iniquities even 40 years and you shall know my breach of what? What that means, if you don't know, It's as if you signed a contract with God. Now, that contract was the old covenant that was established at Mount Sinai because God brought you out with a strong arm and a mighty hand from Egypt. He told you that he was your Lord and you and I are called under that old covenant to keep the Ten Commandments. You remember that, right? These are the words of the covenant that you shall keep. Israel was under that covenant, were they not? They breached the covenant. And now we learn that they did it how many times? Ten times. And so God is saying, now I want you to know what it's like 
to have breached the covenant. The Bible's very clear that God does not take sin lightly, especially when you do it. Now, is God patient? When God puts up with you for doing something foolish for 10 times, you cannot say God is arbitrary, whimsical, or intemperate, can you? I mean, after 10 times, you ought to have gotten it, right? Listen to what it says. You shall bear your iniquities and you shall know my breach of promise. Verse 35, notice this. I, the Lord, have said it. I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation. Now notice what the God God is calling them, an evil congregation. Notice what he says, that are gathered together against me. Now notice when we heard the words earlier in verse one, they were gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. But Moses and Aaron represent who? So God took it personal, didn't he? Notice what it says. They were gathered together against me. People need to understand that. You can blame leadership all you want to. You can blame the hierarchy of authority all you want to. You can blame your mama and your daddy all you want to. Now, certainly they're at fault for some things, but they're not at fault for everything. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You can blame mama. You can blame daddy all you want to. You can blame the husband. Blame so That stuff matriculates up, does it not? God already sees it. He already sees it. Notice what it says. That, notice what it says. That they were gathered together against me in the wilderness, and they shall be what? And there they shall what? Consumed and die. Now, guess what they're doing? They're reaping what they sowed. Didn't we just read, would to God we died in the wilderness? Oh, God towed that contract up and said, you will die here. Got it? You see how stupid we can get when we open our mouth in, in irrational, passionate anger and foolishness? Listen, God don't have to put up with you. He'll give you what you want. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. God will give you what you want. You don't want what you want. You really want what you need, particularly when you're the Lord's, right? You don't really want what you want because what you want is not necessarily what God wants. But he may give it to you to show you how stupid you are when you ask for what you want instead of what you need. That makes sense, doesn't it? This is so critically important. Under point number two, then, the trials versus the what? The trials versus the temptation is the way that, uh, that, um, that the context is laying out. Can you set the verse, please? So I want us to now begin to work through this idea of what's going on. I'm at verse 34, 40, 35. Verse 36 now, I want you to capture this. Verse 36, and the men which Moses sent to search out the land, who returned and made all the congregation to what? CNN News, Fox News, MSNBC. NPR and every news agency that does not tell the truth will make you to murmur against God. Did you hear what I just stated? The school systems are making uh, making children murmur against God. Stay with me. The school system are making children murmur against God. Here, when the children murmur against mom and daddy, they're murmuring against God. When the children murmur against being created in the Imago Day and want to tell mom and daddy, I'm a boy, but I want to be a girl. They're murmuring against God. And they were taught to murmur that way by the educators. Am I making some sense? 
There's a battle in this world and the word of God lays out a mirror to show us that, right? And it's your job, ladies and gentlemen, especially you young, young beautiful men and women. That's the young couple back there. They're having babies. Isn't that a beautiful thing when you're young? You're all romantically in love and you got rose-colored glasses on. And uh, no, 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 no. You got rose-colored glasses on. You got ro- I got plenty of water. That's not the point. You got rose-colored glasses on, and you're thinking, you know, having babies is such a wonderful thing. They can turn you into monsters, can't they? They can turn you into animals, right? They can turn mamas and daddies into cactuses, right, and into prunes. They can try you, your kids. You have to dominate your children in Jesus' name. Listen carefully to me. In Jesus' name, you have to control your children. I'm going to help you. If you've never met this pastor before, I had eight. All grown now. Every one of them tried me. They tried me. Mutiny on the bounty. (laughs) Am I telling the truth, mama? Won't they try you? Right. They wake up one day listening to all that crazy stuff out there. I I I think I can take dad. Yeah, no, dad knows Jesus. You can't take me. Stay with me. Dad knows Jesus. You can't take me. And we're not talking flesh and blood because, you know, they know their mama and I met in martial arts. So they weren't going to do that for about 20 years. (laughs) But after a while, they try to play the psychological games, the emotional games and try to take you out from trusting Christ. And walking in the authority that God called you and keeping the old landmarks that you're supposed to do. Because see, old people have to keep the landmarks. You can't remove the landmarks because your children hollering and screaming and acting foolish. Your kids need to know that you are owned by God just like they're owned by God. And really, God is the one in authority over us all. And here's what you can do with the children. I'm going to help you. You ready? Because this is, this is for free from counseling. This will help you. When you have them beautiful babies like little sweetheart back there, you only got them for about 13 years. The next three is on credit. When they get about 16 or 17, the die is cast. What that means is they are already planning on escaping the prison system of living in your household. Y'all keeping up with me. So they strategizing in their cell, cell in their room and they carving out all kind of plans under the bed and they're chipping the bricks. Yeah. And at night when mom and daddy are sleeping, they sneak out for a while. Some of my kids know, y'all know what I'm talking about. And they'll get back in before you wake up because you're sleeping sound in Jesus' name. Am I making some sense? Somebody said he telling the truth. Somebody said he telling the truth. I know because we did it. Did we not do it? Did we not creep? Come to find out my mama always knew. One of my sisters said, that, said this at the picnic. My kids are teenagers now and they try to lie to me. And I keep telling them, you are not good liars. You, you got to grow up in the hood to be a good liar, right? You are not good liars. Y'all need to quit. Y'all are not good liars. My point, my point here is that the adults made them murmur. The people who should have come back and made them celebrate made them murmur. The people who, who should have come back and gave them courage to go in and take the land made them murmur. Y'all got that? 
Notice again what it says. It's so clear. And made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a what? A slander upon the land. Hurry up, Jess. Let's get through this. This is so important because you heard it last week. They said the land chews up the people, spits them out. The land is grievous to people. It's got giants in there. See, they gave them every reason not to want to go in. Is that true? But I tell you, you need to hear from other witnesses because these 10 witnesses are crooks. They are liars. They are frauds. They did not believe God. Neither did they believe in the token, even though they saw it with their eyes. Y'all got that? This would mean in the gospel sense that you can be close to Christ and still miss him. Here they are walking back with a cluster of grapes pointing to the triumph of Christ. And they still missed the cluster when they came back to give a report. See, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the revelation of the invisible God. Jesus is the grounds of your understanding and your hope. If you miss Jesus, you will never make glory. Jesus is the reason for God coming into this world. Did y'all get that? And when you understand the gospel, you have the key to salvation. These men didn't even have it. And they're uttering falsehood. The proposition is this. Who do you believe? The ten or the two? You believe the two? Then listen to what the two said here. This is so very clear. Listen to what the two said over in verse 24. Notice what it says. Chapter 14, verse 24. 1424 says this, but my servant Caleb, because he had another what? Hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it. Notice that Caleb believed God, didn't he? And then Joshua also believed him, did they not? Look over at verse 38. Here's what God says over in verse 38. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went and searched the land, lived what? Still. Now, what God is talking about is he brought a judgment on them of plagues and destroyed them. And Joshua and Caleb are going to be the only ones that will go into the promised land. Y'all got that? Two out of the twelve. Now go back to verse 36 and verse 37 and let's look at why. I want you to get this before we go to our last point and close. Our last point is going to be very easy because I see a distinction between these two men and the rest. First of all, the two men did not come back with a bad report. Joshua and Caleb didn't come back clowning. They didn't come back. Remember what they said? We are well able to take the land. It was those other cats that are saying we are not able. What a contrast. Now, children of God, are we not well able to take the land? If God is with us, who can be against us? If God has told us it's ours, who can take it from us? But you will still have folk who walk in fear, who walk in doubt to tell you you can't do it. Now, notice what the text says. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur, verse 37. Notice what it says in verse 37. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, they died by the plague before the Lord. That was a lot of men that died. These men were the ones that were doing all the complaining. Look at verse chapter 14, verse 6 through 9. I want you to see it almost done here. 
chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, which were of them that searched the land when they heard that evil report. Let's go back. Let God kill us in the wilderness. Let them take us back to Egypt. Guess what they did? They did what? They did what? All right, just one moment here. See, I think we need to be very careful to love what God loves and hate what God hates. I'm not going to be here long, but please get it. These men were so moved by that evil report. Ah! Now, when you rent your garments, you're done. It's a sign of absolute grievance with what you heard. They rent their garments. They said, you people have rebelled against the Lord. That was an expression of them being on the Lord's side. Now, it's as if the Lord himself rent his garment. It's apparent by the judgment he brought, right? So aren't there times when evil is done in our world that you and I should rent our garments spiritually? to really make it known how evil that thing is? These are the two witnesses of Revelation 11 that walked around in sackcloth and ashes because of the abominations that are done. Ask God to give you grace. I'm here to tell you. Ask God to give you grace. Because if you are even killed and indifferent to everything, you probably are not walking close enough with the Lord. Some things ought to grieve you. Some things ought to grieve you. Joshua and Caleb understood the implications. They knew these babies who didn't ask to come here are going to be stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah. The application is very clear. Because of the rebellion that we have engaged in in America for abandoning our God and opening ourselves up to all kinds of idolatry, our children are in a spiritual wilderness right now. They are in a spiritual wilderness. Finding God for our kids will not be easy. And that ought to make you feel a certain kind of way. Your kids are going to grow grow up and not even be interested in God. Not even interested in God. And we're supposed to be cool with that. You you, You still have to behave. You still have to engage in decorum and love for your kids. You have to walk the tightrope of understanding they're spiritually blind and spiritually dead. You have to realize that if you talk to them about spiritual things and they feel, act cert, a certain kind of way, that you can't get offended too. Am I making some sense? Right. You got to live with the reality that they have not come out of the cave yet, out of Plato's cave yet, and that they're lighting superficial fires and they're operating with ghosts on the wall because they have not come up into the light. You have to realize that. You will also have to realize that it's your job to make sure you don't aid and abet them in the continual carnality that they're going after. Am I making some sense? You still have to know how to sprinkle them with tokens of love by saying, I'm praying for you. Baby, I'm praying for you. Son or daughter, I'm praying for you. And every now and then you still have to say, I haven't seen you in church in a while. You still have to say it. You cannot let them believe they can wander in this wilderness without God, without endangering their eternal soul. Can I talk to you? As our church is jacked up and our kids, they don't know there's an enemy out there that has completely assigned them for the next three generations to hell. 
They don't know that the secular system out there is deliberately, institutionally, policy-oriented against God. They don't know that the companies they are working for explicitly hate the God of their parents. They don't know that those systems they're working for will have them systematically deny everything that their parents taught them in relationship to God and morals and ethics and right and wrong and truth and error and falsehood. And so while they're out there, they got to live that comprehensive lie. The only hope we have is that God was good enough to some of us parents, even in our sinfulness, to have drilled down so deep into their soul the word of the living God that they cannot get away from it even if they wanted to. Am I making some sense? And then after they have risen up and left your home, nary ever talking about God, you still pray for them. You still pray for them. You still call upon the name of the Lord for them. And you do it in faith, not in fear. You do it in faith, not in fear. You do it in confidence, not in trepidation. You believe God for them and you continue walking boldly, confident, joyfully, humbly with the Lord your God. Pray, pray that one day they wake up embarrassed, embarrassed for having traded in the inheritance of the gospel like uh, Ishmael did for a pot of soup that can never make them right with God. Pray that they wake up and have a taste that says, you know what, I'm done with this pottage. Give me the manna from heaven that my mama and daddy talked about so long ago. When God told Israel, you're going to hang out in the land for 40 years, this is what we call a pattern and a type. A pattern of prophecy, Subpoint B, a prophetic pattern of prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Y'all hang in there for a few more minutes. I'm making an application to my own country, and I'm, I'm not going deep into it. If you guys keep up with me in my, you know, social media ministry, then you know where I am with a lot of what's going on in our world. But here's what God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 4. Please, we're going to walk this through. Now, Ezekiel is a prophet. Ezekiel is a prophet, and often the prophets are told by God to do weird, strange things. Didn't I tell you that I'm so glad I live in the New Testament? Because Isaiah had to walk around with his butt out for three and a half years. Y'all, raise your hand if you know I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, some of y'all ain't reading your Bibles, but you need to start. Isaiah, I need you to walk around with your butt out for three and a half years. To let Israel know they've been walking around like a harlot without, without a covering and showing their butt to everybody but me. Did y'all get that? See, y'all don't read y'all Bible. The Bible is full of Old Testament X-rated stories. I mean, real X-rated, real X-rated stuff. You shouldn't even read it. I told you many years ago when I got, when I ran across that stuff with the kids, I said, Lord, how am I going to explain what Judah did with Tamar? How are you going to explain that? See, some of y'all saying what y'all talking about. Now you got to go back and find out. That's an X-rated, that's an X-rated movie. How do you clean that up? Right? And this one is too. But it has a larger and an essential symbolic meaning that those of us who are spiritual by nature get it. Men and women have their tail out metaphorically, spiritually, when they're not covered in Christ's righteousness. 
And see, today our kids, particularly our women, are so turned upside down that they literally have their tails out, do they not? And that's because the devil owns them. And the devil knows how to take biblical prophecy and bring it to pass literally to show you who, who is controlling them. Did y'all get that? The devil is controlling them. And so Ezekiel is told, lie upon your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, you shall bear their iniquity. He's going to be an example of Israel's iniquities because God's going to assign them to judgment in this context, 390 years. Watch this. Look at verse five. Ezekiel four, verse five. Here's what God says. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days. How many days? 390 days. So shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel, which means a day turns into a what? A year. So they're going to watch Ezekiel lay on his side for 390 days. Every day he's going to come out, get in the middle of the street and lay on one side. Over a year. How many days in a year? Come on, I know you went to government school. There you go. And then add the rest, right? That's a long time to watch the prophet come out and lay in the thoroughfare and be an ensign to the world, right? But people are going to get the message. Watch this, the next one, verse 6. Verse 6. Then he says, and when you have accomplished them, after the 390 days for the 10 northern tribes, lie again on your right side, and you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. How many days? All right, so for the 10 northern tribes, it was how many days? 390. For the two southern tribes, how many days? For the 10 northern tribes, they were on the what? Left. For the two uh, two southern tribes, they were on the what? This is called the Republicans and the Democrats. (laughs) Now, the new people here are laughing because they think I'm telling a joke, but some of y'all get what I'm saying. Some of y'all get what I'm saying. Do you? We know the left is 10 times worse. They're the ones advocating all of this damnable stuff of chopping up the kids. But we also know the right is screwed up too. Because many of them are silent, like a lot of you are silent, even though you're on the right. And I've told many of you guys, watch out, the left, right ain't nothing but a pump cart running in the same direction. So sometimes the left is up, sometimes the right is up, but they both going to hell. Did you get it? Did y'all get that? It's one plantation. Two masters, red and blue, they're all working for the same company, headed to the same place. Now, people hate me when I say this, but ain't nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Israel did it. So for 40 years, the Judites have to also be in captivity. But it's, a, it's, a, it's what we call a sequential judgment. So if you add 390 to 40, what do you get? I know it's going to take some time. But I'll give you a few minutes. How much is that? 430, right? Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. I'm cutting this down for time's sake because I said I was going to be real tired after us having a great time yesterday. But I'm not really that tired. So I could go another 20 minutes. But I'm cutting it down because I want to show you something and then I want to go eat because I'm just thinking about what I really want to eat today. I enjoyed these kids so much yesterday. Did we have a great time? I got home. I got home about 10 o'clock. And I said, dang, I didn't eat again because I have so much fun with the kids. Our kids is crazy. They be tripping, don't they be tripping? But they have fun, don't they? Uh, Some of us grown folks are like those kids, are we not? I love our kids, man. They, They are tripped. 
little connivers. They got to be prayed for because, you know, they will tear this world up if you let them. We got to pray for our kids, right? Pray for our kids. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt. Where did they dwell? Who were the ones that dwelt? For how many years? For how many years? What's 390 plus 40? Watch this. Israel was in bondage to Egypt 430 years before they came out. When they got into the promised land and started clowning with God, he put them in bondage another 490 years before Jesus came. 430 years. Y'all got that? Before Jesus came. In other words, they didn't seem to do any better than when they were in Egypt. Did y'all catch that? I'm going to help some of y'all. I want you to catch that. See, God will show you that what he meant, he really meant. 490, 430 years should have been enough in Egypt. God brings you into his house with all these blessings. You clown. Now you got to do another 430 years. Does anybody know how stupid that is? Does anybody know how stupid that is? When you would already done 10 years, you go out and do stupid and then you got to do 10 more. Now, the sad reality I'm about to close here is that many of us are like the children of Israel. That's a sad reality. And, and such is the case of our nation. Our nation is going downhill on a moral, ethical level beyond what you and I can even imagine. It's happening before our eyes. And you and I are experiencing the proverbial frog in the boiling pot. Have y'all heard it before? Yeah. Right. And, and, and if the frog could speak English and hear English and, and, and someone would go to the frog and frog, Mr. Frog or Miss Frog, whichever way you want to do it, depending if you're on the left or the right, you can do it either kind of way. Mr. and Mrs. Frog, there you go. While you're sitting there in that water, it's getting hot. Don't you know that water is going to gradually change your metabolism? And you're going to lose your capacity to jump out. And if the frog and if the frogs knew how to talk, guess what they would say back to you? Shut up. I'm not paying no attention to you because it's warm in here. This is the abnormal bias that people are operating right now in. Shut up because it's warm in here. Don't disturb me. Don't mess with my peace. You know, I kind of like this water. It's getting warmer and warmer. And they don't realize they're actually cooking. Do you know how good frog legs take when they, when they fry? Did you, you didn't know that, or you didn't know that. Talk to my brother Craig, he'll hook you up. Frog legs. Humanity is being cooked right before our eyes. Humanity is being cooked right before our eyes. The cooking is starting psychologically. It has already started long ago spiritually, but it's starting psychologically. And this is how you know you're cooking. You're stuck. You're stuck, and people can tell you until they're blue in the face, and, and that's hard for black people, but we can do it. We can do it. And, and when we tell you you are stuck, you don't want to listen because you choose comfort over clarity. You choose comfort over clarity. Men love darkness rather than light. They will not come to the light that their deeds might be manifest, that they're wrought in God. And the sad reality is that a lot of this is true of the church as well. Here's what I believe. If God doesn't have mercy on the nation that I'm a part of, in less than seven years, 
we are going to be so clearly trapped by a system of artificial intelligence and control over our money and control over our life and control over what we say and over what we do that we're not going to even be able to extricate ourselves from it. Stay with me. And the vast majority of people are going to be fine with it. Ask our Chinese brothers and sisters in Beijing. They know it's happening and they just sit in it like frogs that are boiling in a pot. And it's happening right now in our world. And I'm astonished that it's happening in the church of the living God. I'm astonished. But I shouldn't be. Because God has warned us that these things would be. My word to you, children of the living God, is get the lesson. The children who didn't know their left hand from their right, who didn't engage deliberately against this rebellion and disobedience, that's our final point, they'll be the ones that go into the promised land, Big Mac. Did y'all get that? But they will have to endure the mother and father perishing for buying into this false system. The Bible tells me, except you become like a little child, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Except you have a faith that's able to believe God over against what's going on in this world that helps you overcome your intellectual pride. Unless you have the faith of God's elect and trust God like a little baby and lean into God, you'll be taken by this world system. Unless you have the faith of God's elect, become like children, brand new babes in the Lord, desiring the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby and be rooted and grounded in Christ, you'll be swept up with the system too. Am I making some sense? I'm going to help you right now to know how that's true. You won't be able to endure the word of truth when it's preached. Whenever you think about, should I go and sit and listen to that crazy preacher? No, I think I'll go to the park. I'll go to the movie. I'll go anywhere. But to sit under somebody that's telling me that I am deliberately making choices that's sending me to hell. Which the church used to preach all the time over 70 or 80 years ago. I close with one simple reality. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen.